Welcome to Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno. You'll want to grab your Bible and follow along, verse by verse, with Pastor John. I put in the seed, it's germinating, the heat, the sun, the water, right? Until it gets the early and late rains, the latter rain. Be patient, Jesus is coming just at the right time. God has the perfect schedule. He's not late. He's not forgotten us. Verse 8, you to be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Be encouraged because Jesus is coming for you. For the coming of the Lord is near. It is soon and very soon we're going to see the king. I probably know 200 pastors and some are, they're ready to go. Pastor John, Jesus needs to come today. Yeah, I kind of want him to delay a little. Don't say that. I don't want him to delay. But I, do. I still feel like I need to live for him and accomplish some things and witness to some more friends and bring more people with me to heaven. No, he needs to come today. We're ready to go. <laughs> so be patient. His perfect timing. Verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, the Christians, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You're not the judge. You're not the judge of me, right? Don't judge me. That's what everybody screams. Don't judge me. What did Jesus say? Let he who's without sin cast the first stone. Yes, it's true. Jesus is the judge. That's not my place. Put it in God's hands. Jesus Christ will be the judge because the Father has put all judgment on the Son so that they will respect him on judgment day when they see him judging them. And the judge is coming. Here comes the judge. All rise in honor of the judge. You ever do that in courtroom? Right? You better stand up. The bailiff says the judge is coming in. His robe, his lofty seat sits behind his big desk with the gavel. Here comes the judge. Here comes the final judge the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's right at the door, the doorway between heaven and earth. He's about to come. He's so close. He's standing. He's waiting for the Father's perfect timing. It is so close. The apostles said they were in the last days. I believe we're in the last seconds. Jesus is so close. Verse 10 as an example, brethren, the Christians, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We must wait. We must endure. We must be patient. Sometimes we got to suffer. Suffer as a believer for Christ. They put us down because we take the name Christian, which represents Christ. But it will be worth it. And our example is the great prophets, right? And all that they went through. Some of the prophets were stoned and beaten and even killed. I look at the Old Testament, all the great prophets. One of my favorites is Daniel. 
And of course, Daniel prayed to the true God, and he wouldn't obey the new law, and so he gets thrown into the lion's den because he violates the new law. You can only pray, you know, to the king, but he prays to God. And God sends his angel, remember, and shuts the mouths of the lions. And the king opens, you know, the huge stone. Daniel, has your God been able to save you? You know, oh, king, yes. He, God sent his angel, and, he, and the angels protected me and shut the mouths of the lions because I have been innocent. You know, what I did was right to pray to the true God. And Daniel suffered some persecution and attacks, and he had endurance and patience and long-suffering and that stamina. Don't quit yet. Jesus is so close to getting you. Verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Do you know the story of Job? Many Christians tell me, oh, well, I'm going through everything. I'm just like Job. I've lost all my stuff. I lost my house. I lost my money, my investments. I lost family members like Job. I've lost my health. Remember Job? Satan comes and wipes out all his uh, riches. He's so rich and powerful. Christians can be righteously rich like Job, richest man probably on the earth in his day. And then Satan wipes out all his assets, all his cattle, his investments. Satan wipes out all his children. I can't remember, was it 10 children? And then Satan comes back and takes away his health and covers him with sore boils, 24-hour pain. And then to add insult to injury and to kick him while he's down, Satan sends his wife and his best friends. <laughs> And they're like, you should just give up. You should just quit. It's your fault. You must be this horrible sinner. But then you got to skip to the end of the book of Job and read the last chapter because God appears. And God blesses Job again. And he restores. And he gives him beautiful babies. And gives him twice as much riches as what he had before. Restores his health. And Job is blessed by God again. It is the endurance. It's the story of Job. Endure to the end. I believe your life is like a race, right? The Apostle Paul, I finished the race. But now some of us are running a race like a sprint. You just run it as fast as you can like a madman. That ain't good. Because we're in a marathon, and you're going to poop out. Now, when you run a marathon, you set your pace, right? You don't run too fast. You don't run too slow, and you reserve your energy so you could keep on keeping on. you got to keep going. Stay in the race. Don't quit. Don't fall over. Don't surrender. 
and we fix our eyes on Jesus, right? The author, the finisher of our faith, and we stay on the path, and we run the race set before us, and we set the pace, and we keep going. Now, we're all in a race. Some of us have started poorly. I hear the stories, oh, my family, I've been abused, hurt, broken, and I've been, I got in the race limping. I did a false start. I started the race slow. It's okay. It doesn't matter how you start the race. What matters is how you finish the race. Do you see it? And so, you know, many of us have been beat up and kicked and spit on and the trials and addictions and vices and the traps and, I don't know, prison and your parents, you know, I've heard the stories were cruel and, you know, I'm a counselor. I've heard all the stories, stories that give me nightmares at night. But through the grace of God, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he lifts you back up, and he puts you back in the race. And so it's okay you started bad because you're going to end well. It will be eternally important how you finish the race. Can I tell you, Jesus finished the race for you. God wants you to finish well. When Jesus comes, he wants to see that you've finished the race for him. Use the power of prayer. Verse 12. But above all, my brethren, again, the Christians, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. It's the repeat of Jesus' teachings. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, don't be making all these promises and swearing. Just be a man of your word. Uh, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You know, Boy Scouts honor. I swear on the grave of my dead grandmother. You know, you don't have to make all these promises and oaths. Just keep your word. Just say yes or no and do it. Be a doer of the word. Speak the truth. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Oh, yes. <laughs> then he must pray. That's when I pray a lot, is when I'm suffering. When I've been in the hospital, when I'm in pain. God, stop the pain. God, heal me. God, this is very crucial. The doctor says I could die. Then I really pray a lot. <laughs> and I put my trust in the Lord. That's time to pray when things are going bad. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. What a glorious day. Thank you, God. A day of life, and it's beautiful. The sun's out, and I just, I just love my family and my friends and my church, and I have a reason to sing praises in church today, right? We express it. 14, is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, the church leaders, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is your sickness crucial? Is the pain horrible? You need to pray. 
You need to go to church leaders, pastors, elders, trustees, uh, uh, a mentor, a spiritual leader. And you need a group of them. The more prayers, the better. And even ask them, can you anoint me with oil? Now, oil is symbolic of healing. It represents the Holy Spirit. And oil is put on our fingers, and then we touch you, usually on the head, the shoulders, the hands. So the oil represents a point of contact and a point of being touched by the body of Christ. It's copying Jesus. Jesus healed a lot of people, and he touched a lot of people, even people he wasn't supposed to touch. You're not supposed to touch someone with leprosy because contamination, but he touches the lepers and heals them. You're not supposed to touch dead bodies, and he touches, grabs them by the hand, raises them from the dead. It is the power of God, and touch represents intimacy and love and closeness. And can I tell you, Jesus is in heaven. We're waiting for him to come back, but he's left his body, the church. And we must be the hands and the feet and the arms of Jesus. We must give touch to people, to hug them, to love them, to feed them, to nurture them. We are the hands of Christ. And the leaders are to touch them with oil on their fingertips. But the oil doesn't heal. It is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? In the name of the Lord. Jesus has the power. If you speak and say, Lord Jesus Christ, heal this person. In the name of Christ, I pray your healing. That is the source of our power, the source of healing. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. In the name of Christ, we pray in faith and forgiveness and healing and restoration. I've seen a lot of healings. I've seen supernatural instant healings. People getting up out of the hospital and the doctor saying, this is impossible. This is a miracle. Uh, I remember the one church lady, this is the miracle lady. We can't believe you're supposed to die in this coma. You're never supposed to regain consciousness. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Confession of sin is connected with healing. Confess your sins to one another. I'm not saying, you know, to go to the Catholic Church and the confessional and you have to go to the priest. Understand Jesus is our high priest. We can go directly to God. But there is power in the body. There's power in God's leadership and his pastors, mentors, Christian friends. There's power. And when you confess, it's like you're set free. You know, as a counselor, I've had people confess the most horrible crimes and evil, nightmarish things. And it's like they're putting their burden on me. And they're set free, and I applaud them for their courage and their strength. And it's hard to confess, and it's hard to admit, but there's a power and a strength in confessing 
to the body of Christ, to a, to a loved one, to a Christian that you trust and you confide in. Do you see that? To confess, to pray for them, to encourage them. And the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There's a formula here. I don't know if you see it. It's a healing formula. Confession plus prayer equals healing. Oh, yes, in the name of Jesus and faith. Faith connects us to God. And then watch the power of God and the miracles that the Lord will do. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I like the prophet Elijah. Talk about being helpless and hopeless and giving up and being depressed and wanting to throw in the towel and being suicidal. This is the prophet Elijah. And we think, what? I mean, I, go th I fight through all those things. Oh, yeah, so did Elijah. Everybody's after him. the enemy, you know, the wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Armies trying to destroy him. He just wants to throw in the towel. God, I just want to die. The prophet Elijah becomes one of the most powerful major prophets. He probably does more miracles and signs and wonders than anyone I know in the Old Testament. A powerful prophet, but he's just like us. But he is a man of prayer, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. An unusual number. Three and a half is half of seven. The great seven years of tribulation that will be cut in half into three and a half and three and a half. Of course, with the abomination of desolation in the middle. The Antichrist come to earth. I believe Elijah will come again. I believe he's one of the two anointed witnesses. Jesus prophesied, the scriptures prophesy, Elijah will return. And during the great tribulation, the two anointed witnesses will battle the Antichrist and the devil and his demons. Also with the 144,000 Jewish male witnesses, this powerful elite. Why does God need these super special forces? Because the church is gone. We've been raptured out. But God still has a witness. God is still reaching people, and people are getting saved during the great tribulation. I love Elijah. He does bizarre, quirky things, but boy, he has the power of God. Verse 18, Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. It was a curse upon God's people, their land. They were wicked and nasty. And so Elijah brings a famine, no rain. Man, if you stop the rains from Reno and Sparks, we're a ghost town. We desperately need the snow. We need the rain. I know everyone's been rejoicing. Oh, praise God, it's raining. Now it's too much rain. Now it's too much snow. I know, but we need it. The drought is over. It's the blessings of God. If there was no rain, we'd be in a world of hurt. So Elijah brings his nation to its knees through prayer and then brings, of course, the blessings of God and the crops come and the food comes back again. 
because he prayed. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, it's what we call apostasy, falling away, backslidden. Were they saved and they lost it, or maybe they never really weren't saved? Maybe they made a prayer or confession and didn't mean it. I don't know. God knows. It's in his hands. All I know is if we see they've fallen away, bring them back. Are you a black sheep? Are you a lost sheep? Come back to the fold. Come back to God's house. Come back to the word of God. Come back to the cross. Come to Jesus. He's the key. Bring them back. Verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We reach the lost. And when a Christian's fallen away, we bring them back. We restore them. We fight for them. We love them. We pray over them. We battle for their soul and we give them the truth. We give them scripture. I think the most powerful prayers that I have experienced are the Korean Christians. When I worked at the Calvary Chapel Conference Center, we would host so many churches. Christians from all over would come to our retreat center in Twin Peaks, California, near Lake Arrowhead, Big Bear. And these Korean Christians, when they prayed, it blew my mind. They would be on their knees. They'd, sometimes they'd have to have this little uh, cloth or something for their knees because they'd be on their knees for hours and their fervent prayers and their dedication to the Lord, it convicted me. It was a model to me to pray more, to trust God. It's interesting that the largest Christian churches in the world are in South Korea. The power of prayer. Start praying seriously, regularly, earnestly, just like the Old Testament prophets. Pray like James. Pray like Jesus. And pray in his name and his authority. So what does it all mean? What is it? What's the point of all this? To start living now. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give you life. Life to the full. Life to the nth degree. To have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I mean the fruits of the Spirit. How do you get life? You must come to the cross. Jesus gives his life to you. He does a trade and exchange. He died for you, and he wants you to live for him. He's done a trade. He's taken your sin, your guilt, your past, your trash, your junk in his body when he died on the cross. And now he gives you his righteousness, his goodness, his mercy, his love in exchange. It's the best deal. It's the most amazing grace, a gift.
that only God can give. Trade your life for His. Accept His death in your place. Confess your sin. Commit your heart to Jesus. Follow Him every day. And James would say to be a hearer and to be a doer of His Word. Live the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection for us. And we know you're coming back for us, and you're right at the door. May we wait, may we be patient, may we persevere, may we endure and be a doer of the word until you come. May we faithfully serve you. As you have died for us, may we live for you. And we await our resurrection too from the grave that we can even cheat death. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for supporting Verse by Verse, the teaching ministry of Pastor John Reed from Calvary Chapel, Northwest Reno at 246 Courtney Lane, Reno, Nevada, 89523. Our phone number is 775-746-4567 and our webpage is calvaryreno.com. You're always welcome to join our services.